Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi folks, it's a Thursday afternoon and running out of the week, so let me do the Haftarah today, which I'm doing um, in honor of uh, some, one of my, some of my regular, very regular sponsors, Nats Destines, uh, Daniel and Liba, uh, who very kindly support this podcast on a steady basis, and uh, uh, we're thanking them, and I'm going to go right now to the Haftarah. I was about to start the wrong Haftorah about almost, but then I realized it's uh, really uh, Sunday's Rosh Chodesh, so it's Mokhar Chodesh. It's going to be the Haftorah, right? And the other one from almost is going to be next week. Now, I think it's in Israel too, but I don't know. Anyhow, Mokhar um, Chodesh everybody does, because since it's the day before Rosh Chodesh, you use a Haftorah that mentions the idea of Mokhar Chodesh. That's from the book of Samuel. And here we have the adventures and the misadventures of David, Saul, and Jonathan. That's the bottom line. I'm fairly sure that most of the people listening to this know the basic story of the friendship of David and Jonathan, how in this week's Parsha, Jonathan says, if my father's out to kill you, we'll find out at the Rosh Chodesh dinner how he acts, and I'll warn you by shooting the arrows in this way or shooting the arrows in that way, and you can run for your life, and that's what happens. But I want to devote today a few minutes is to talk about the background because the problem is they always complain about in Haftarah is they start in the middle of a story and they don't tell you what happened before or what comes afterwards and you're just like supposed to know it. Now, if you're a Tanakh person, uh, great. But most people are not. I'm well aware of that. And so let me just put a little of the background which makes this such a remarkable story. This uh, you know, Haftarah tomorrow is only a piece of a much longer narrative which is, as everybody knows, a literary masterpiece. The Book of Shmuel Aleph, particularly, aside from the fact that it's in the Torah, of course, that's a separate point. We look at it because it's part of the Torah. But it doesn't take away from that to say that just from the literary perspective, it's a remarkable story. Just very well done. Right? Now, the story, of course, as we know, is... I know everybody knows the outlines. I'm not sure they know the details. I just want to talk about a little bit. So we're like, considered today like a background to Haftorah. Uh, King Saul, as we all know, did not kill Agag. The Rosham said, I'm going to get you back. And he played mental games on him. Ruch Rabbi Asumi Hashem. So this is a particularly cruel form of torture. Not a hair on Saul's head was ever touched. As far as I remember, nothing ever happened physically until the last battle when he was killed. But the Philistines, you know, he committed suicide, they wounded him and so forth. Till then, not a hair when his head was touched. But, however, um, mentally he went through anguish. He has a ruach ra, however you touch it up. Different, as far as you touch it up, different way. But he had some kind of a crack up. Uh, understand this well. Doesn't mean he was crazy. The craziness was imposed in him as a punishment for Hashem. That's a ruach be assume it's Hashem. 
So whatever the symptoms are, from a modern perspective of an MD or a PhD psychologist, it don't matter because Saul wasn't crazy. The craziness hit him as <clears throat> a punishment from Hashem, like a lightning bolt, so to speak. So to speak. So that's really terrible <clears throat> because mental anguish, fear, terror, whatever, can be worse than the physical. Neither, nishtokedacht, as they say, you know, you don't want either one. But don't say, no, how bad could it be? Nothing lamais ever happened to you. Salt suffers terribly. Okay? Now, to make it worse, the prophet Samuel told him on the occasion of Agag, there's a result of your screw-up. God's going to take the, tear away the kingdom from you. Kara means you're holding on to it, and I'm going to tear away anyway, which happened when he held on to Samuel's cloak. And I'm going to give it to somebody else, and I'm not going to tell you who that other person is. That mamish was a real <coughs> crack-up uh, tool. Because from now on, Shaul knows, even though deep down, I mean, he's he's trying to fight it, but like a tragic character in one of these things, he can't escape his destiny. If it was a Greek tragedy, we would talk about destiny. Since the Torah, we talk about Hashem. Hashem says he's going to tear it away. It's going to happen. If Shaul was built differently, right? Let's say he was the firmest guy to ever walk down the road. And he was very firm, by the way. And he was a superlative, whatever. Serious, so like this. I'm a cobble. You understand? Know I'm a cobble. Here's my crown. Whoever wants to call, come Zoho. And he would go back to being a farmer, whatever he would do. But he couldn't do it. Hashem knew what was going on over here. Once he got into Malucha, he couldn't let go of it. There's a Perky Officer somewhere where it says, if they tell me, uh, I forget where, some rabbi said, if they tell me sit at the head table, I wouldn't do it. But once they put me at the head table, I'll shoot you if you try to take me off the head table. You get it? That's the nature of the human being. It's a wonderful story in a tragic way. And so, he doesn't know who the person is going to take it away from, but he knows there is somebody that's going to take it away from him. You and I, the reader, know that it's David, because we're told the story about how Shemuel and Nabi went secretly and anointed David. Saul doesn't know that. Now comes the extraordinary irony of the story. Because, as we all remember, Shaul was cracking up. And the only thing that could bring a menucha from the terrible Agba Snefesh, the terrible uh, pains they suffered mentally, was when David plays the harp. He has no idea that David is the guy who's going to take the king away from him. Therefore, the unbelievably fantastic literary irony that the person who we're going to bring a menucha is the person he's afraid of. Really, he should be afraid of. And... Eventually, Shaul starts to put two and two together. It's a fantastic story. So originally he considered David just like a pretty boy, Admoni Mifei 9, who plays the harp. But then eventually, when he kills Goliath, he starts to say, what the heck is going on over here? Then within a little while, David is, is rocketed to prominence, and Shaul can already smell this is trouble, and this is probably the guy. But now you have the wonderful story that deep, 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 deep down, he knows that Shemuel and Navi was a Navi. He knows Shemuel's not telling a lie. And so one day, Dove is going to take over. And Shaul tries to get him killed. And this and that and the other, and nothing works. Every time he sends him on a mission, Dove comes back with greater prestige than before. And so, Shaul's already just, you know, he, he, he's reached the point 
where he said, I got to kill this guy. Because as in Middle Eastern politics or politics anywhere, if you're dead, I don't got to worry about you anymore. That's how it goes. You and I know the story never works, which only increases his frustration. And every time he tries to throw a dough, it doesn't work. In uh, chapter 19, I think he throws a spear at him and misses him. And believe me, a guy like Shul doesn't miss. Because these were crack warriors. A guy like Shul doesn't miss. If he missed, that confirms that David is the next one. And you can't go against what Hashem wants. can't go against your destiny. But he can't make peace with it. This not making peace with his destiny is the idea that Hashem is torturing him, you know, mentally. Okay? It's 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 quite a story. In my mind. It's quite, quite a story. And it's terrible. This mom's terrible. From Shaul's point of view. To make matters worse, to make matters far worse, in politics, especially in the Middle East, the only one you can trust is your family. And here he can trust his family. Look at all these dictatorships all over the Middle East. The only ones they trust are the family. Saddam Hussein put his kids in charge of everything. Assad is in there now because he's the son of the previous Assad in Syria. And his relatives get everything. The ones that are not his relatives are on the outs. Country after country is like that. And they get this. Now, you know, the only one you can trust is your relative. It's a little bit like the yeshivas, you know. Now, the thing is like this. His son is, is Yonason, his daughter is Michal. They're both in love with David. We're told that. Michal was in love with David, and Yonason is in love with David. That's not too strong a term. It says they loved each other intensely. Which means, I mean, not physically, but you know, it was an extremely strong friendship. Which we're not told about anywhere else. And the Chazal describe it as Avash That's not my words, that's the words in Pirkeovas. So, that makes things worse. That's a sign to Saul, deep, deep down in his conscience, although he doesn't want to admit it, that David is indeed the one who's going to tear the king away from him. I said that wrong. Hashem's going to tear the king away from him. David's the one going to end up with it. Uh, As you know, Saul cannot understand how it could be that if somebody's on my family, why do you support the the person who's going to take away from my family? It goes against the first rule of politics. Which is, reward your friends and punish your enemies. David's on the wrong side. We should kill him. Help me kill him. And Yonah says, we know in, in last week's parasha, and in today's Haftorah, I mean in, in the previous parasha, in today's Haftorah, he's siding with David and warns him again and again. You know what I'm He warns him again and again. Michal is in a house with David, and King Saul sends assassins to take him out. One of the Tehillims in the 50s, is the poem that David composes when 57, 58, whatever, Psalm 57, 58, over there, when the house is surrounded by the assassins and they're casing the joint. Limaisa, she helps him by putting a dummy in bed, escape, and he runs away. But from then, more or less, he's on the run. Right from then, he's, he's more or less on the run. Uh, now, what happens when he flees from Michal's house. Right? What happens? So he runs to a place called Noyos. There's something most unusual happens. Because 
Shaul finds out that David is in Noyos. This is in the previous Perk 19 in Rama. And he sent messengers. Now listen to the story closely. He sent messengers to um, take David captive, he says. But David is with Shmuel. And Shmuel, of course, being the great prophet, is the one who anointed David in the first place. And they're having a Navua session. This is, is something that's quite extraordinary because we don't usually have these Arya Kaplan type descriptions of what Navu is all about. But, you know, the Ramchal, all that in the, what's it called, the Der Hashem, has these whole chapters where, based on these kind of experiences that are described in these chapters, he talks about the Navua in its spasmodic kind of state. Right? In its spasmodic kind of state. Um, and Shmuel and Shol went there to Noyos. He sent officers to arrest him. And they saw a bunch of prophets prophesying, which means they're playing music and spazzing in a prophetic way, not in a drunk way. But still, you're spazzing. Right? And Shmuel's like running the show. Meaning, Shmuel is giving them instructions on how properly to do the spasmodic experience, which is you lose control because it's necessary to drop all the body stuff and go higher. Of course, if you're the Radak, he says, he teaches them how to say shir, 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 okay. Right? But whatever the case is, they're having a spas session, and it's so radioactive with this prophetic kedush or whatever it is, that it spills over, and it hits them, and they start to spaz. So when it says that they were minsnav, it doesn't mean they're prophesying, but they were shaking, losing control, and you know can't control anything. Is they're going through spasms, and they can't control it. You understand? They can't control it. It's quite a story. This is the immediate background to our haftarah. By so Saul himself goes to Rama to kill him, to kill David. They come to this big pit. It's like a movie. It's some kind of big pit. And around it, they're standing and, standing and singing and spazzing and losing it. Not much losing it. As part of the idea of moving beyond your regular consciousness to a prophetic consciousness to Nevoah. Because Nevoah means you're losing your regular physicality. David. Where Shmuel and they said he's in Noyos, okay, and Vayelech Shmuel Noyos Barama, and when Shaul gets there, intending to kill David, the radioactivity hits him. Vatiyolov Gamhu Rochelohim, and he got hit with this, which the uh, uncle the Targum says Nuroch Nevo Mikanam Hashem. Vayelech Halof Vgalo, and he started Halach Vayisnabe. He started shaking and losing it. Now it's interesting. In other words. This is not magic over here. It only works if Hashem wants it to be this way. So Hashem wanted that Shaul should lose his ability to function and start spazzing. As he approached, and Shaul stripped down naked. Now, all the Mepharshim are like shocked at this. And they say, can't be. You understand? Can't be. It's a very interesting uh, passage in the Mepharshim. If you're interested, it's the last passage in 
in Perkyotes, in chapter 19 of Shemuel Right? Vayesha Gamhus got up, he tore off his clothes, Vayesnabe lived in Shemuel, and he started being Misnabe, which means spazzy, prophetically. Vayipul Arom called Yomahu Halala, and he fell naked all day and night until people said, Really? He fell naked? Literally? Sarashi and I see the others, they say, no, it means he just took off his outer, his jacket. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? And a real from yeshiva, take off the jacket, like naked. I think I told you, I remember Rabbi Bach used to be the rabbi in my old show long, long ago. Very big time we were very close. And he's in Tells in Europe. You know what I mean? He was in Tells in Europe. And it tells her. And he said, and he was in his teens, you know, he came to here in this country in 1940 when he was 20. He's And he said, there was until it's like in the summertime, like April, May, whatever, and it was hot and humid. And he's, and there, tells everybody learned all day long with a, hat and ja- with a jacket, not a hat, but a jacket. And since it was so hot, some people took off their jacket. Then the mashkiach came and gave a big clap on the table. And the mashkiach said like this, can anybody even imagine in their mind Reb Chaim Eiser without a jacket on? <laughs> and that was enough to shame everybody and putting back their jacket even not even weather. Now here you have King Shaul and he's by Yevshed Spagadov. So you see why he took off his jacket. Rashi says, by Yevshed Big D Malchus, Lil Bush, Big D Talmidim. That's a little bit of a stretch. A little bit of a stretch. Okay, um, and some of the other unfortunately go that way as well. However, it's very interesting. Rashi goes on to say, it doesn't only say he took off his begotten, it says he was Aram, which is naked. Now again, what does that mean? We have in, I'm looking at Targum Yonason in front of me, and it says, um, he fell Birshan. What the heck is Birshan? So Rashi says, So Yonason says, according to Rashi, he was naked. Get over it. See, he just contradicted. He knows it's different than what Rashi said. He took off his outer garment. Unless you mean, first he took off his jacket, and then he took off everything. Shot Bing, he's so spasmodic. He's not aware. It's like someone having a fit, you know. It's almost like an epilepsy type fit, something like that. In which case, they're just out of control. And he lost his goofiest, you know, his his bodily uh, consciousness. And he's just spazzing because he's under control of a higher power. And his clothes fell off. And Rashi goes on to say, right? So by the way, that's just interesting because the... Sifsi uh, Zikim uh, here, which is like the Sifsi Chacham, says correctly that the Targum Yonason Leisa Artiloid. Our Targum Yonason doesn't say Artiloid, that he was naked. It says he was Bersham, which is something different. Okay? Now Rashi quotes Menachem. I told you before, Rashi was interested in Nach in the Menachem and Chalba, who was a contemporary of his. And I think Menachem and Chalba's son learned with Rashi. And he was a Tanakh expert in the time of Rashi. Not Tanakh, Nach expert, Nach. This is Nach. 
And he says, Shamatim Shem Menachem, Shashamim Pi Ariyechad, that Menachem and Chabu, who lived in Provence, was told by an Arab, Birsham, Belashnarbi, Meshuggah. That when it says Nafal Birsham, it means he fell down crazy. Meshuggah. Now, I don't think he means insane, but rather spazzing. Mamash, what I said. Spasmodically. Out of control. Excuse me, out of control. Then the Marik Krah here says, Veloshan Arvi, Veloshan Nitrofadaito, Birsham. Then Arvi called an insane person a Birsham. But again, I don't think it means over here. I mean, I'm sure it doesn't mean the King Saul lost his sanity. But rather, he lost control. Right? He lost control of himself. And started spazzing in a way that someone who was insane would do so. I wonder at the bottom of my mind, does it possibly mean, you know, like a, um, when he says, Arvi Meshuggah, does it mean a crazy Arab or does it mean a dervish? You know, the Sufis, they have almost this business that when they get worked up in their Avodas Islam, in a, in a spiritual way, I'm serious now, I'm not making fun. They dance and carry on and lose control as the idea of moving to a higher madrega. Alvin Ben Rambam was a fan of this kind of thing, believe it or not. Again, the Radak, I just find this interesting. The Radak says that um, exactly what I told you. When you get hit by Nevuah, the Radak says, a nice dose of prophecy. You lose control. It's hergashim gabatol. Be pull on him, and the guy just falls, and you lose. You, you spaz. You lose out of control. And it can happen. Indeed, the redox said the guy tears his clothes off, like I was telling you. So my shot is redox, right? The when the fall arm, he he lost it. Because of the Rove Bittel Hagashosa. He's so spazzing, he's under his control of such a, a Navu power, like radioactive, that your Machshavas Anapshios and your Bittel Hagashosa were all bottle. Vishar Bakoch Asechel Abado. And all you're left is this Koch Asechel, which means you're in a higher consciousness, a different state of consciousness. And so your Sechel is, to use, uh, you know, uh, cliches, is connected upstairs. And what you are downstairs, you're just not even aware of. So Shaw, as he runs to arrest these two, finds himself unable to do so because he's spazzy. As a matter of fact, he says he laid there all day and all night, which mainly means like he collapsed or something like that. And meanwhile, by Yerach Dov So Dov was able to run away. And David says to Yonason, why is your father out to kill me? And Yonason says, it's not true. But then it turns out that it is true. And they swear an oath of friendship. And he says when it comes to Machar Chodesh, you know, eventually as you go through the parrot, chapter 20, you'll eventually see that they plot together to find out if his father's going to kill him. And of course, he says, we're going to have a Rosh Chodesh party. If you're not going to be there, we'll see why my father says when you're not there. And then I'll shoot the arrows in such a way that you'll know it's a code and so on and so forth. And indeed, right? Um... I think the Parsha, the Aftar, if I'm not mistaken, ends. See, that's what I don't like. It's, it starts too late and it's too early for you to understand the story. Because it wants to always end on a nice note, you know, for the Hamonam that are there. And he says, Lech Hashem 
that Hashem should be between the two of us, we should be allies. But it goes on to say that when Saul saw that David isn't there, it's not in our Torah, uh, he loses it and he almost kills his own son. How can you choose another team? Right? You're a disgrace to your mother. Because Let me teach you politics 101. You ain't safe. The dying of Saul is not safe until David is killed out. Once he's there, we don't have to work anymore. And, you know, Yonasan goes on to save him anyway. Right? So the friendship which is unnatural in the Middle East. The friendship between David and Yonason is a sign that Hashem has chosen David to be the next one. If Hashem is behind you, things will happen that are very unusual. You understand? Locked doors will open and crooked rules will be made straight and situations were usually impossible will be possible and Shaul is the victim of all this. All right? Shaul is the victim of all this. He would like to treat with David the way any king deals with a threat to the throne, a contender. But you and I know the story is that Hashem has chosen David. And if Hashem chose him, nothing can hurt him. Every time you shoot a, a gun, it'll miss. Every time you shoot an arrow, it'll miss. The most you can say is David has some scares. You understand? Now, this is part of the education of David. I always make a point, and I don't want to belabor it, I don't want to take too much time, so I'll just end with this. Many of us think that when we think of certain characters in the Tanakh, like in the Bible in general, like David or somebody like that, or Moshe Rabbeinu, or Avram, we know them as great tzaddikim, and we figure like this, this is the way Yishal handles it. They're great tzaddikim, and they were the same all the way through. From the very, very beginning, they were super high madrega, okay? From the very beginning, they were super high madrega, and they negotiate all the problems in life that way. And as a result, uh, every time they came across an assignment, they were able to handle it because they were able to marshal all the cultures that he had. But that's not true. People change over the course of life. If you see a story, even in the Bible, of a great Sadiq or something like that, they reached a high madrig over the course of life. But David wasn't the same person before he was a king and after he was a king. He wasn't the same person before the Bathsheba story and after the Bathsheba story. You know, he grew and learned sometimes the hard way all along the way. The only thing is, in Shmuel Aleph, he has a very ambiguous role. And that role is that, and listen closely because this I'm going to end on. He was chosen to be the king, but not yet. It's not true that when Shmuel annoys him, he said, okay, now it's your turn to be king. Go kill Saul and take over. That's not what happened. He was anointed to be king, but he was never told when it should start. And Saul wasn't told when it should start. And so you had somebody in limbo, so it's been gray area. I'm David. I'm going to be king one day. After Saul, God has torn the king away from him. But I'm not going to be the one who does it. I'm not going to lay a hand on him. And all through the book of Shemuel David makes it clear again and again and again he's not going to kill or hurt Shaul because he had opportunities. I think you all know the stories where he cut the coat. But then what was the point of the encounter? I'm not out to kill you, but one day when Hashem is ready, he'll make me king. He can't make him king without knocking out Shaul. 
say anything Shaul feels well about this. But Shaul's help us to, 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 to fight it. So if you have a case where somebody's trying to face a scary destiny and can't, and it's just always reacting, usually violently, then you have this story of David and Shaul. It's, it's quite a human story, and they're never able to you know, work it out. Uh, Yonason is the only one who can work it out. Yonason, you can see over here, it says, I know one day you're going to be king. He says these words. And, you know, uh, and it's okay with me. If Hashem has picked it, then Hashem has picked it. And, you know, just don't kill me and my family once you're king. Uh, what's interesting, of course, is David, of course, does kill many of Saul's family under certain circumstances once he's king. But that's for another time. So, uh, once again, I want, so, so the, the Haftar we have is like a small fragment of this much larger story, which from a human being point of view, is, is, the, 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 the chapter before is kind of more interesting. You understand? With the uh, spazzing of the Levua, because it gives us an idea of what we're talking about here. But at the end of the day, Hashem makes it happen. It's not, or it's not magical. It's not uh, supernatural. If these people wouldn't start spazzing unless Hashem sent the Ruach, and the, and the Ruach is a type of Ruach that, you know, causes these kinds of uh, mental and physical uh, manifestations. So the whole thing is very, very spooky-wooky. That's as, as much as I can tell. This is a little food for thought. Once again, I want to thank the Steens for being such loyal and faithful supporters of the podcast. And with that, I wish everybody a good shot. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.